Greetings, and welcome to the Fall 2010 SLIS Colloquia, a program now in our ninth consecutive semester brought to you by your School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. I am Dr. Anthony Bernier, and along with Dale David, our technical producer, we are offering this series as part of our school's vision to be recognized as a leader in graduate education in library and information science. Before I introduce today's colloquium speaker, a few announcements. First, please look for new colloquia presentations on the SLIS website throughout the fall term, where you will find a, an archive of all of our previous recorded presentations on the SLIS homepage, sliswb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as free podcasts. Details of how to access the presentations, either through RSS feeds or through the iTunes store, can be found on the school's colloquia page. The SLIS colloquia can also be viewed by, uh, via Blip TV, the popular video sharing website. The SLIS Blip TV channel can be accessed at sjsuslis.blip.tv. For our SLIS students, I'd like to encourage you to visit a special website detailing the many social networking opportunities the school offers for you to connect virtually and otherwise with other SLIS students. It's our own SLIS social networking wiki where you will find all of your favorite networking resources, Ning, MySpace, LinkedIn, Google Groups, Flickr, Facebook, Digo, among many others. The school also maintains another wiki called Cool Web 2.0 Tools, which offers a way for you to share and learn about the rapidly changing information resources you will want to know about in your program. While these previous announcements were intended primarily for our SLIS students, I also have a few items to share with everyone in the SLIS community. As you may know, the school maintains a robust profile at our professional associations. So I'd like to call your attention to the school's upcoming professional conference appearances for four of this fall's present uh, professional events. Everyone is invited to attend our reception at this year's Internet Librarian Conference on 26 October from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Monterey Marriott in uh, Monterey, California. The school will also host a reception at this year's 55th ARMA conference. ARMA stands for the Archives, Records, and Management Association. The SLIS reception will be on Monday evening, 8 November, at the San Francisco Marriott. And we are going all out at this year's California Library Association conference, outpacing even our own blistering reception schedule. A lecture and two receptions all in one day. On Saturday, 13 November, from 3.30 to 4.30, SLIS's new director, Dr. Sandy Hirsch will deliver a lecture entitled Shared Visions for the Future at the Sheraton Grand in Sacramento, California. Dr. Hirsch's lecture will be followed immediately by two different receptions. The first, for members of CLSA, the California School Library Association, will be held between 4.30 and 6 and hosted by the school's new teacher librarian program coordinator, Dr. Ann Reedling. The second reception, will host our entire SLIS community, also between 4.30 and 6. The lecture and both receptions will both be held at the Sheraton Grand in Sacramento, California. Of course, you will find all of the details for these and upcoming events on the school's webpage. 
The faculty hope to see you at these professional conferences and encourage you to take the opportunity to become better acquainted with us as well as to meet up with classmates and colleagues and friends. We hope you enjoy our fall colloquia presentations and thank you for helping to make it a successful series. Mary Jo Romanek is currently the Associate University Librarian at the University of Alberta in Canada. She began her career as a professional accountant in the private sector, but quickly moved on to several senior public service positions in community economic development for the government of Alberta. And for the past 13 years, she has served in various administrative positions throughout the university. Ms. Romanek earned her executive MLIS from San Jose State University in 2008 and has been a guest lecturer here and at the University of Alberta's School of Library and Information Science, where she developed and taught a course entitled Managing Across Generations. Most recently, she served as a guest speaker at the OCLC Canada Symposium, Improving the User Experience. I'm particularly pleased to introduce Ms. Romanek today because she is one of our uh, Gateway PhD program doctoral students and is thus enrolled in our cooperative program with Queensland University of Technology in Australia, where her research and publications focus on concepts of library leadership, in particular, library leadership programming. The title of her colloquia today is Library Leadership Development, What Does This Mean and Why Should We Care? Please join with me and the rest of this list faculty in welcoming Ms. Mary Jo Romanek. Thanks, Anthony. Um, just get started here. Uh, certainly this is, uh, stems from the research that I'm doing on my PhD, but some of this is research that I hadn't presented as part of it, because as you go through that, that whole piece, your literature and the things that you look at sometimes change a little bit, and, and uh, so, so hopefully this is a little bit new for some of you who have heard me speak before. Why should we care? The library profession suggests that there's a leadership crisis in libraries. Since about 1990, leadership was recognized as a skill by the library profession. So it's a relatively, if we want to call it a recent crisis, it has been really started emerging in the late 80s and has been continuing. What does that really mean? Where did this come from? Really, recruitment and retention. The studies suggest that there's significant issues. There's a shortage of librarians with leadership skills. But it isn't just about the people. It isn't just about losing people with the experience, tenure, and seniority. It's really about losing part of our community. We're losing part of our community with the skill sets, the experience, and the social networks that have taken years to develop. And that's what's been important to leadership. So we're not just looking at recruiting leaders, but we're looking also at retraining them. We're looking at what recruiting really means to us. Part of the problem is, of course, is that when we go to recruit, 80% um, of the emerging leaders or library leaders or people that we're recruiting don't feel that they're adequately prepared to assume leadership roles. So when we go out to recruitment, we're recruiting from a group of people that really aren't ready in any case. So that really tells us that we need to do a lot of work. More interestingly, in some of the, the anecdotal information that comes out from participating in various library leadership programs and certainly in talking to a large number of these young people, is they're not sure that they really want the headship role. So part of this whole concern, this leadership crisis, really relates to the directors of libraries, the heads of libraries, who's going to take on these roles. We've got leaders that don't really want to be, they want to be leaders, they don't want to be heads. All kind of a feeding into this leadership crisis problem. 
So the issue is as much about training for succession and new heads in the library as it is really just leadership development. We're really after looking for people that take on those headship roles. It's not as simple as going to our next tier of managers and just saying, well, let's, let's promote them, give them some training and promote them. There's some research out there that suggests that these people are coming in with 20-plus-year-old skills and that the management styles and the leadership styles in particular that they were exposed to and mentored under are fairly different than those that are there today. They, uh, certainly there is a lot of command and control legacies from the 20th century that these people were exposed to or some of the people that are in our organizations, which is quite different than more the transformational leadership style, which is more prevalent today and certainly which is more expected based on the people that you're actually leading. Another piece to that is certainly that we use power differently. Um, when you look at the generations now, Generation X and the Millennials, title means nothing to them. Respect is not given with title. Respect is earned. And so the way we use power is somewhat differently than in past where power came with a title and, it, and you applied it differently and used it differently and actually took power differently. So leadership has changed over this same period. So this whole recruitment, retraining, retention has become a much more significant issue. Of course, uh, the 80% number, we don't know a lot what's behind that number. It's a wonderful piece of quantitative research where we know 80% don't have the skills. We don't really, we haven't unpacked that to really know what that means. What are they thinking about it? What skills don't they have and why do they feel that way? Again, the other finding, of course, is that leadership poten is, potential is important to 76% of the employers. My question is, why isn't it important to 100%? Probably the reality is a lot of them have not considered succession management and the fact that they're just hiring to fill positions, either that is they've got really great succession management already in their organization and ability to retain people. The reality is it's an issue for everybody. You know, the library for profession, I think, has looked at this in the glass half full way, not the glass half empty. So taken a positive approach and basically said that they would look at the recognition that we need leadership training, that there are training gaps, and demographic issues, declared a crisis, and come up with a plethora of leadership development programs. Mason and Weatherby identified this. I think there were 21 in 2004, just for the profession that they identified, and of course they didn't have them all. And this has just grown exponentially with funding and support from various different organizations and for more, more organizations looking at this leadership crisis and saying the solution is a leadership development program. The good part about developing all these leadership programs, of course, is that it is responding to one of the other issues that um, some of the research had identified, is that most of the librarians or most of our, our young recruits have two, two um, we're looking at retaining them, and some of the retention issues relate to career development and constant training and access to professional development. Providing leadership development programs in part addresses that. It's some of the training they want and they do suggest that leadership development training is important to them and they want that training. So we are being responsive and we are probably solving some of our retention issues and if we don't do it, there's probably not much loyalty and we will lose staff. So there's multiple reasons for doing leadership development training apart from addressing the crisis. The problem with the solution, of course, is the fact that we really don't know very much about these programs. As a profession, we've created programs, but we don't know whether they really work, whether they are turning out the heads of libraries, uh, 
do they do what they're intended? I'm not even sure that most of the programs know what they intend to do. We're not sure what they look like. We're not sure what content should be there. And of course, it implies that you need a lot more evaluation than what, that is what is happening currently. From the library perspective, these programs tend to be described as uh, in basically four ways. Programs for emerging leaders, mid-career librarians, and senior executive or headship type programs. And there's a fourth category that, that um, intends to bring diversity in the profession and deals with diversity. So they train leaders in diverse populations. When you look at the corporate world and you look at the world beyond the library world, they use those labels, but they tend to look at leadership development at something broader than just a leadership development program. We tend to be much more focused on programs. They, the world as a whole tends to be more focused on leadership development. So they certainly have skill building programs, intensive feedback approaches, conceptual approaches, and personal growth approaches. That doesn't say that the library sector doesn't use these. It's just there isn't as much literature on these things, although there certainly are um, mentoring, there's literature on mentoring, there's uh, on select items, there's certainly literature on it. It's just not, as a profession, we have not recognized that there are many ways and a very integrated system to build leaders. Going back to the leadership development programs that seem to be so um, prevalent in the library profession, what, does, what do we know about them? Well, when I talk about formal evaluation, really it's often absent. Mason and Weatherby in 2004 looked at a lot of the programs and found that while there is some evaluation, it's almost all based on participant self-reporting. It's methodologically challenged, I suppose, from a, from a research perspective because really there's never any pretest, so we don't know where we're starting from. It is participant self-reporting, self so they tell you how they think. Seldom does the research go back out to their organizations or back out to uh, the library community as a whole to ask them whether there's any behavioral change. Again, participants are reporting on their own behavioral changes. Not always, but more often than not. There, there are always exceptions. The outcomes are uncertain. If we were really trying to tra train heads of libraries, it's not clear that we've done that. It's not clear that these programs even attempt to measure it. And actually, based on their program theory, it's not even clear that they could ever do that given the content that they design, the applicants they select, and the lack of integration between all of these pieces. What does come out of this, of course, is that self-confidence, for whatever reason, seems to show up in every one of these evaluations as one of the outcomes that has been most important to participants. And I use the word self-confidence here deliberately, although my research uses self-efficacy as a more descriptive and appropriate concept. From, from the perspective of the participants, they all feel more confident after participating. This always almost seems like to be a surprise in the research. You don't look at any of these programs and that none of them have an intent to um, develop self-confidence, but it certainly it comes out in the evaluations. And so you have to ask the question, why? And, and Obviously, there's a lack of understanding about how that all fits together. This is just a highlight of some of the programs that have been out there that had done evaluations, and it was mostly just to show you the nature of the evaluations. They were almost all participant, as I said, based. Um, these are what, what they felt. When you look at impact on career, impact on the profession, 
um, again, participant reporting, and the ones that said they had a perceived impact in the career, when you actually read what they say, they had suggested that it was one of many factors, and it probably contributed to their decision to apply for a job, or it gave them the confidence, but they, there weren't any necessarily causal relationships, nor could you ever de uh, develop that uh, based on these kind of programs. There's just a few more of them. There are a couple that had certainly uh, more if you want to call it, uh, certainly a, a, a bigger or a better methodology uh, pre and post tests, the leading modern public libraries, uh, and actually had some interesting information there. And I would only highlight that one to say that they found that compared to public, public um, sector leaders, library leaders tended to have greater skill in transformational leadership and they were identified by 360 degrees, so supervisors, um, peers, and uh, subordinates as having greater skills than those of people in the public sector. But their confidence was certainly less, so their confidence in their ability to lead was less than that of their counterparts in the public sector. Interesting finding, of course. Uh, the Aurora program is in Australia, and Modern Public Libraries was uh, in the UK. So. Certainly this is not just a North American phenomenon. It does um, extend beyond the North American borders. <laughs> the same findings are prevalent everywhere. Well, the library profession isn't special. Um, the findings that we have and, and the problem with program evaluation and program development and what these programs are intended to do, and in fact that whole leadership crisis notion extends to the larger sector. The findings in the library sector mirror that everywhere else. There are very few published studies that measure participant change or organizational impact. Um, Collins undertook a meta-analysis and, and, and the meta-analysis stands that was done in 2002. What was interesting to me apart from the results was the fact that she only found 103 evaluations or studies that could actually qualify for her meta-analysis. In other words, ones that actually had enough um, evaluation and outcomes and, and uh, uh, objectives attached to the program so that she could actually use them in her meta-analysis. That's not a lot when you're considering every program that's out there. So the, the sample size is actually quite small. Nonetheless, she did find that similar to what we were seeing in the library sector from uh, self-reports, that knowledge and behavior effects happen. In other words, people acquire the knowledge as a result of the programs and they change their behavior. But there is a very small effect on organizational impact. So the effect size on organizations, what this translates to in organizations, has not been established as being very significant. Or the study, the meta-analysis, could not show that from the evaluations that were done. So the evaluations are not showing organizational impact. That has a that obviously should give us all some concern in the sense that why are we spending money training leaders if they don't go back to organizations and actually. Um, and uh, actually impact the way that organization performs. I mean, if it doesn't make a difference as to what kind of leader you have, why bother training them? I don't think that that's really the case. The reality is we're not doing evaluations and we're not looking at longitudinal evaluations. We're not even looking at framing uh, programs so that we could even ever do those evaluations. And that's the real um, question as funding agencies start looking and asking questions. That exact thing happened in, in the sector where the Kellogg Foundation, which did fund a number of these kind of programs, started asking questions about whether they should be funding leadership development programs and what that meant.
And Black and Ernest and uh, Russen and Reinelt both had undertaken studies in response to some of the Kellogg's questions and found very much what we found in the library sector, that there were few published studies, most of them were self-reports, lots reported numbers, satisfaction, and that there really was a serious lack of uh, methodology attached to the programs. Consequently, uh, Kellogg <coughs> changed what they fund and they have also set up a framework for evaluation so that they know that their money is going into certain places, but they radically revised their funding as a result of some of these evaluations. I think in the library sector we need to be cognizant of that as well. I said we aren't special but maybe we are. There are some reasons that we should be concerned about leadership development and we should be concerned that uh, what happens in the corporate sector certainly applies but we also need to be concerned for our profession and, and look at some of the unique characteristics and why it's important we're as concerned or more than the corporate sector. Probably one of the pieces of research that was most important done in the library sector was certainly that library leaders are like corporate leaders. That allows us to lever a lot of what happens in the corporate world and use that research. The other pieces of the library sector that are unique are certainly personality type. I won't go into a lot of details. Suffice to say that Myers-Briggs type is one of the things that was examined and the introvert hold 60% in the library profession, 60% of the library profession at the time the study was done were introverts. More interestingly, in the general population, that should be somewhere around 30-33%. And the next piece of research that's relevant is that leaders tend to be extroverts, at least there's one piece of uh, uh, research that suggests that, and more, moreover that, that um, Extroverts tend to have more self-confidence, which is actually what makes them the better leader. So it suggests that there's some issues there. There are several pieces of research that get at the gender issue that suggests that while females tend to be more transformational, they have less uh, self-confidence or less self-efficacy, which tends to mean that they don't necessarily um, rise to the leadership role that they could take. They've got the skill, but they don't necessarily have the belief in themselves that they can be those leaders. That's a gender issue. In a female-dominated profession, it's a significant issue, and it re-emerges actually as a library issue in that UK study where, again, with the public sector, of course, where they found that the librarians tended not to have the... Um, same self-confidence in their abilities as the, those people in the public sector, even though they had a greater skill. So it is an issue for the profession. Leadership development certainly needs to be considered. What does it really mean? When you look at what we're trying to do, I think you need to understand the different pieces to it. Leadership development certainly is a fairly encompassing talk, topic. It encompasses what we would call leader development. So leadership development is looking at your interpersonal competence, the trust, the commitment, the social networks across teams and across organizations. So we're building skills and people to do all of that. It's building capacity and anticipation so that uh, leaders can anticipate unforeseen challenges, so that they understand themselves and then can apply that to the organization and the teams that they work and that they can make use of social systems to build commitments among members of their teams. That's what leadership development's all about. You can't have leadership development without having individual leader development, which is really getting at the intrapersonal skills and building those skills and competencies in the individual. So the individual needs to be strong before they can move forward and move into leadership development. 
what's interesting is we take that those two concentric circles and throw them into a seven-day leadership development program and say you're finished you're done and we wow we've got a leader it's like putting them in a blender and coming out with these great expectations and then we wonder why this isn't happening the whole point of the slide is to suggest and, and I'll talk to it later is that there needs to be more support than that and that's the only reason I raised that point the other piece that that's becoming I think that's quite um, obvious is that as we train these people the researcher that at least the evaluations were showing that I that I had showed you is that we're expecting them to come out and be heads there's certainly another piece in there a management development piece because most heads need that management development it often gets blended in and confused with leadership development because we are trying to develop heads people take management pieces and stick them in the programs and say this is a leadership program when in fact it's a separate set of skills um, management tends to be or should be more focused on uh, performance and managerial roles requiring specific task related knowledge skills and abilities that uh, would allow them to take proven solutions and apply that to known problems uh, financial management strategic planning some of those kind of things fit more in management development don't belong in leadership development although they are still a skill that you would be looking for when you have somebody as a head and I think that there's sometimes blurring there what we end up with a lot of our leadership development programs is people that end up wanting to lead from within and that goes back to that issue that I said made, made mention of originally is when you ask people these days in fact I've asked it at leadership development programs how many of you want to go on and head your library nobody puts up their hand well they're all there for a reason they're all there because they want to be leaders but none of them ultimately want that job in the little blue circle the question is we need to understand that more why that is I think some of it has to do with perception of work-life balance and again this is only from um, talking to them it may be other perceptions then it may be a self-confidence issue that they just don't think that they're ready to take that on in any case if these programs and if you when you looked at those results that I showed you we don't have a lot of career progression happening or not to the extent that we had hoped so we've got lots of people that are going out they've got behavioral change they say they're leading within some of their employers say they're leading within but they're not emerging as heads and we have to make sure that we can make that conversion and that <coughs> conversion will happen to ultimately to fulfill this headship what does this really mean well this means as I said in there seven days doesn't do it that training and development are both uh, ongoing and needed activities development needs to be longer term it's not restricted to a library leadership development program it's a change an evolution that people need to go through so when they come out of the program there needs to be a larger program that they're put into place so that this development is ongoing in the same way training we can do lots of training for specific skills we could take a piece on change managing change leading change managing conflict that sometimes appear in leadership development programs and work with people in a training basis to build up that skill but right now there isn't a comprehensive plan in most or library organizations to do this so to go from a program and build in these two component parts what else does this really mean well I can't leave out my research because this is near and dear to me and I think it's really important and I think some of the research out there is suggesting we really need to spend a lot more time thinking about this is that it, when you put people through leadership development programs what they need to come out with is that self-confidence they identified it themselves and we need to pay attention to it 
formally it's known as leader self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is really the construct. Self-confidence is our kind of colloquial term to define that general feeling of what we understand to be self-confidence. Leader self-efficacy is more specific and talks about really that confidence in your ability to be a, a leader. Um, why is it important? Well, every single leadership theory talks about leaders as needing confidence. We know from the research that leadership self-efficacy determines our engagement in leadership. In other words, if people aren't confident, they won't engage. It doesn't matter what skills they have. If they're not confident in their ability, we, we're wasting money training them. It's also a predictor of leadership effectiveness, so we're worried about whether organizations and whether this makes a difference to organizations. Well, if you've got a confident leader, they're likely to be a more effective leader, which likely means that there's going to be more organizational change, and that's why one of the bullets suggests that leader self-efficacy self is linked to organizational outcomes. So when we're wondering about how these impact the organization, some of the outcomes certainly are likely never to occur if we don't have confident leaders. Certainly also linked to development of competencies and, of course, the behavior, that is. If you're not confident, you're not going to lead. And the fact is, if, you're, if you try to lead and you're not confident and you have encounter failures, then you're really not going to lead. A person that certainly has self-efficacy can uh, undertake something, have a minor setback or even a major setback, but will persevere in the face of adversity. adversity. And what else does this mean? It means that we need to look beyond leadership development programs at other interventions. There's certainly literature in coaching, mentoring, the importance of job rotations, assignments, action learning, networking. And I'll pause on networking because many of the uh, participants of these leadership development programs had identified that one of the most important things that comes out of it for them is maintaining that network of colleagues. And when you, when you even look at back at self-efficacy theory, um, part of that is social persuasion and getting feedback and vicarious learning where you basically continue to learn from your peers and you certainly get feedback from them. So that networking is a very important piece just for that element, but certainly other elements as well. Feedback is important. And Cotter had suggested in, in the greater corporate world, and that's where most of these bullets come from, is, is from the literature overall, is that creating challenging opportunities. We are quite often worried about creating formal programs and creating um, small development initiatives such as job rotations when all that we need to do, or one of the things that we can do quite easily certainly, is creating challenging opportunities for people and providing them. And in fact, when they come from these programs, we would expect hopefully that when they go back to their organizations that these kind of challenging opportunities would be there. Taking a step back, what, what is best practice? When you're doing a leadership development program, the, there is a fair bit of literature out there um, and when you pull it all together you can come up with about eight best practices um, in terms of what these should look like. When they were doing the work for Kellogg, one of the um, things that they found is that most of those programs had no theory or philosophy. So they were going out evaluating content and finding out that the content or whatever the program had as content did a certain thing and it was successful. However, that content never matched what the program was intended to do. So the program never, the results did not match what the program intended, although what they had trained the people for, they were successful at being good at. So if they trained you, um, 
through your leadership development program and the content taught you to be a good um, a good communicator and the skill set that they were trying to develop was really something broader a change agent and all you were was a good communicator at the end they were successful in 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 the communication but the program pieces didn't match the program philosophy and they found a lot of that uh, happening so that there's a theory and a philosophy and it's all missing and it needs to interrelate uh, you need to have a supporting infrastructure in other words the the uh, content and everything else about the program needs to match so that the the venue the timing the the whole way the program puts together needs to fit with that philosophy most importantly we need to know why we're doing the programs a needs assessment what do we need to develop who are we developing and what are the skill sets that we actually need to develop we may find that from certain populations and a lot of this speaks to organizational leadership development programs if your organization already has a strong team environment you may not need to do a lot of um, team building as part of a leadership development program selection criteria is important we need to know why we're selecting people and we need to make sure we're selecting the right people the learning systems that support it certainly is the content um, and we need an evaluation mechanism the eighth one where I put on their outcomes focused most of the evaluation that happens now is fairly individual focused we look at individual development and effectiveness um, do the individuals have the knowledge and do they go back and behave we really need to start thinking about that outcomes piece which is the bigger career piece and is it making a difference in the organizations as we put these programs together the foundation for the program I think this is, is certainly key and when I've looked at a number of programs quite often we don't know what leadership theory they're using we they don't necessarily have clear goals and objectives or any of those foundational pieces so this is something that I'm I'm really keen on seeing that there's more of and I think the research certainly supports this program foundation you need to know where you're starting from what are you trying to train and what do these leaders look like I've used leadership theory because in the library sector most of the programs are based on transformational leadership which is the small box there those the characteristics of it Bennis went out and took those characteristics and translated them into the characteristics that are in the larger box those are the characteristics that Sheldon and Bennis Bennis tested them on corporate leaders Sheldon tested them on library leaders they're valid in both places so I put them there because most of these leadership development programs are actually based on those Bennis characteristics and if they're not they're based on transformational leadership the relevance to all of this of course is that that is your leadership theory and those are the kind of skills that or that you should be responding to that would respond to those theories the interesting point here is we don't really have much else in the library profession um, there is some talk and I started looking at one point in time the notion of competency based uh, training and can you base it on competencies or a set of competencies we presume to exist for leaders they don't exist for the library profession we haven't identified which competencies would be appropriate to leaders Simmons has gone and identified some Simmons College and and put some together including self-confidence innovation strategic achievement and orientation communication 
an organizational awareness. That's what they suggest. But as a profession, we have not gone forward and really identified what those leadership competencies are. I think it's good when you look at SLA and they at least acknowledge that leadership is important. Or you, uh, I think Westco was a, a group of uh, Western uh, organizations uh, that came up with a set of leader of library competencies, nine competencies. One of them was foundational, and in that foundational, they suggested leadership, but it's buried, and there was not a lot of detail beyond that. So we don't have a competency-based system. There's lots of arguments both for and against competency systems, but we don't have it in libraries, so we can't develop programs on the basis of competencies. And attributes, other than what we've got here from Bennis and Sheldon's work, are equally as difficult because some of the research that's gone on, Hernan Powell and Young had done some research and certainly found that there were certain sets of attributes and characteristics, more so of academic library leaders, or at least the academic library leaders agreed more or less on what those should be, short of some generational disagreements. But the public library leaders were less likely to agree on a concise set of what characteristics ought looked like for uh, library leaders. So there are certainly some issues with moving forward in any way other than on theory. As I said, part of the problem when I went looked at a lot of leadership programs, hard to evaluate when you don't know what their goals and objectives are. So programs need to be fairly consistent, making sure that their goals and objectives address the needs. They need to be related to the strategy. There needs to be selection. Of course, smart objectives always make some sense. The program structure, of course, makes a difference. And these are some of the um, best practices and things that comes out of best practice literature in the corporate sector that suggests that mentors or coaches, people that they can develop in a relationship with, and that would be an enduring relationship. Most of the literature suggests that mentoring and coaching actually needs to extend beyond the program. There is some corporate or uh, outside the library sector literature that um, actually suggests that mentoring or coaching during the program is one thing, but it actually has a pr more profound effect post-program. Whether the, what the duration of these programs is, the format, um, who, who participates, what's included as content, the location, all make um, a difference. Ceremony is one thing that's suggested. In other words, celebrating successes is certainly suggested as a best practice in terms of program structure, active and experiential learning. And of course, that post-program requirement piece where the participants leave but they don't they don't just get thrown back and never to see leadership training again. Some of the reasons that leadership programs fail, and they're again research looking at why do people come out of some programs and they don't lead, apart from the piece about not having enough self-confidence to take on leadership, is that the programs weren't appropriate to the audience. In other words, the mode of growth, the place where that person was at that point in time. That, in other words, they were a poor selection for a program. The skills that the program was trying to develop wasn't appropriate, and the way the program tended to develop them wasn't appropriate for that person's uh, learning at that point in time. The other piece is that people send uh, participants to these programs, they come back to an organization who is not really keen on providing them with opportunity so that the, a lot of the leadership training is not necessarily relevant to that organization or that situation. And of course learning styles and that's all connected to learning theory that need to be important and considered as well. What should be in the program? Again, this comes out of 
various looking at best practices and, and largely again certainly not from necessarily only from the library sector although mentoring, um, reflection and um, I think coaching come out of some of the library as well as uh, some stuff on networking and peer and peer interactions. The importance to networking and coaching, it's interesting that it, when it came out of the literature, it came out of vicarious learning, and certainly that's one way that self-confidence <coughs> is developed through vicarious learning, and it's hard not to see the connection there, that the mentoring and coaching continues to build that confidence in the ability to lead. Again, re, um, the literature also suggests that expert facilitation is important. That the, that the trust that people have in facilitators actually impacts both uh, what they take out of the program and then ultimately their self-confidence for being able to lead based on what they learned. And of course, again, that relates to that vicarious learning as well. Action learning is important. There's an awful lot written now on reflection and journaling and the ability to go back and think about things as being very important. And the other interesting piece that comes out of a lot of these programs is that creating a stressful environment is important. What people seem to um, benefit from was having uh, a stressful environment where they were forced to perform under duress and stress, which allowed them to take that and build confidence in being able to lead in that kind of environment and take it back and apply it. And in fact, some of the programs, particularly of more senior leaders, in other words, not so much emerging leaders, um, showed that a stressful environment was one of the greatest uh, benefits that they saw in these programs. And again, there's research that says intensive programs where you spend five or six or seven days together uh, have a greater benefit than programs that are modules here and there. Again, that's uh, one study, so you know, take it. It is it is a little bit of research based on uh, a set a set of skills, but it, it's a, it's a pretty solid piece of research. And finally, one of the other things that is important, and, and we can't underrate it, is the selection. Who goes to these programs? And that selection implies both when you uh, create a program for your own organization, who do you select and what impact does that have? And when you're sending people to a program that's created outside of your organization. First of all, leadership potential has to be considered. And, and I think now we quite often just use basic judgment, but I think that there can be a lot more put into that. Um, if you're really looking at evaluation, we certainly can. There's lots of pre-test tools and post-test tools. There's varying um, thoughts on whether those are appropriate or not, but certainly it seems to be better than anything will do. And there, the selection criteria for a lot of these programs are pretty, pretty loose. If you've been a librarian for seven years and you think that you want to be a leader, um, that's good enough or if you've been uh, a manager in a library and you think that you want to be a leader, that's good enough to get into some of these other programs. I'm, I'm demeaning them and making them sound that, the, that there aren't more criteria. The problem is it's not really understood how well those criteria are applied and how people actually make their decisions based on some of those criteria. Um, so mode of growth is important, making sure you get the right people in the program, the self-confidence, where they're at. When you're looking at a program that's specific to an organization, which there are some now, uh, certainly in Canada where they do their own leadership development programs at a university and they put their individuals through it, that Hawthorne effect again, who you select, certainly can come into play. If you're selected, you feel special and you perform differently versus people that aren't selected. 
And of course, there's literature out there that talks about sending cohorts or dealing with cohorts of people from the same organization versus just sending an individual. And the literature suggests cohort training is quite often more powerful. And again, I would suggest that that relates back to that having peers to um, reinforce uh, behaviors with that, vic that uh, vicarious learning and kind of social persuasion that people get from each other. Finally, what do I need to say about evaluation? Well, we seem not often to know exactly what we intended to achieve. That's what the results say. Uh, we need more rigor in the library profession, more use of control groups, pre and post testing, more qualitative methods. This sounds very research oriented, but in reality, it's good evaluation practice. Evaluation theory suggests that both quantitative methods and qualitative methods would be really important for leadership, really important for program evaluation. So there's not a reason that we don't do a better job with our quantitative methods, but actually take that and um, look at some qualitative approaches to doing a better job of evaluating these leadership development programs. Putting it in perspective, when you go to evaluate, as most of the uh, information that you've seen suggests, they use Kirkpatrick's four levels. Right now, that seems to be prevalent. That's why you see knowledge effects, behavioral effects, and organizational effects. That's pretty common both in the world and in library. And, and really, this is what it needs to look like. You need to have kind of a, a comprehensive uh, leadership program theory. You need to have content that relates. You need to have your selection that matches. And then you need to have an evaluation program that rests on top and informs all of those so that you can go back and modify what isn't working. What next? Well, beyond the leadership development program, we need to think about what other development needs to happen post-program. The library profession as a whole needs to look at all sorts of different opportunities for leadership development. Look at some organizational responsibility for creating those opportunities beyond sending someone to a program. Providing ongoing training. And certainly I think the most important part is when these leaders or trained leaders come back to your organization, taking some risks, taking some trust, and letting go. In other words, walking the talk. They come back as wanting to take lead and we don't always give them the opportunities that they should have because risk-taking, trust and letting go aren't always things that we practice even though we teach it. So I think on that note I would conclude and say thank you and if you have any questions. I've um, heard you speak and read your work a number of times but a question occurs to me for the first time just now so uh, this will be different from anything we've talked about. Um, Ken Haycock and the faculty. Um, it seems to me that when we look at a training gap and we identify a program to address that need and identify people to participate in the program, what we've um, labeled it as uh, development, in this case leadership development, and I wonder whether from your um, work and your presentation, whether part of the issue is that We've tried to put these things into a theory of development when in fact what we've been doing is trying to squash things into a theory of remediation. I think actually, Ken, that's a, it's an interesting question and it's, a, it's, um, 
I'll answer that in, in two ways, and I think in some cases that's absolutely true. And I suppose if you look at that statistic that says library uh, emerging, librarians don't feel adequately trained to take on leadership roles, it implies it's remediation, meaning that they ought to have been trained when they come out of your MLIS program. The question is, is that really true, and is that the right place to be training for leadership? And I think I had that question before, do we build that into the MLIS? And that's a question certainly for the academic community. Can it be built in and is that the right place? If it is, then I think that the remediation theory is probably better and it would fit. I think there is a question though is that I'm not entirely certain that there's agreement that these library leaders actually ever started out as with any leadership training or development in the first place. And so it, maybe it isn't remediation, maybe it truly is development. But the second part of my answer would be, I'm not sure that we use the word development very well. And um, it's like so many other things in this piece that, you know, we've got leader development and we've got leadership development and we've got leadership development programs. And I would argue that a leadership development program is not a seven-day institute. It's a process that takes the person that might be one aspect of it, but it's a much broader process that has training and has uh, multiple components to it that would build that leader. And I think if these programs, we don't have the evaluation really to show it, but if they're not working, it's not totally the fault of the program, it's the fact that they're one aspect and they can't possibly do what we had expected them to do. That's an opinion piece and someday will be another piece of research.